a show where a nerd fits in. The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Toys, movies, comics, and so much more. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And the more that you listen, the more that you know. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And welcome to this episode 962 of The Riley and Kimmy Show. It's a Monday, and right next to me is the person who loves Mondays. Shannon! I got one name! Hi, I am your host, Patrick Riley. I am the villain of the story. And the hero of this story and every single other one is Kimmy. Hello, Kimmy. Hello. Now, I, I, I was kidding. You do not like Mondays. You actually have what I call Monday-itis. That's what they used to call when I was in school, a little kid. They'd say, oh, the one that's going to be sick on Monday. Somebody's got Monday-itis. You know, mm. Sundays start getting a little, they get a little cranky, and Sundays get a little depressed, and, mm. and yeah, yeah, but Monday-itis has always kicked in w- with you, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Are mm-hmm. we okay for this episode of the Riley and Kimmy Show, even though you are suffering from yes. Monday-itis? Yeah. Can we get you to forget that it's Monday I'll for a little it. while? I'll try. Because, well, that's what our yeah. job is here, Kimmy. You know, once you step foot on the stage here, it, it's all about the show. Mm-hmm. As you know, it's, you know, that's the unofficial rule. You forget about all the troubles in the big bad world. When you come mm-hmm. into the Riley and Kimmy show, because we're about escapism. And and be quite honest, when I worked at a very big radio station in Orlando, that was one of the things we talked about with new staff members, is when you come into the building, into the studios, whatever problem you may have had when you were driving to the facility, to the studios, to the station, it's gone for a little while. Because you're taking stage, and it's just like going to the theme parks, especially the, the big one, you know, the big mouse one. It's the happiest place on earth when you're doing it because mm-hmm. you are there to help others get away from whatever is bothering them. And that's what the Riley and Kimmy show does. I adapted that uh, that thought process, which worked very well. And I thought, you know, when we created the Riley and Kimmy show, that's what it was all about, because a lot of people are surprised because I have a talk background and in other types of broadcasting. They're like, oh, you, what, what kind of show are you guys doing? And I was like, yeah, we're going to do pop culture escapism, kind of floored them a little bit. Because I felt, you know, there was a lot of trouble in the world at times, and people just need to get away from stuff. And I remember that thing echoing in the back of my head at that certain unnamed radio station in Orlando. And I said, you know what? That was true. It worked there. It'll work now. Because we need to be that beacon of light. Mm-hmm. Right, Kimmy? Right. And I, you feel better now already? Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Great. Then I'll talk to you about the suit that you're going to be wearing at an upcoming event. That's down the road. Yes, Kimmy's going to be cosplaying as a furry. We'll be talking about that in the near future. Are you thrilled? Hmm. You look forward to that. And to find out what I'm talking about, just be sure to like our Facebook page. That's where I will announce that first. Okay. And and maybe even, you know what? I think I will actually put that on live video when I make that announcement with you, just to capture the the love in your eyes when I tell you about it. You know, the thrill that'll be in your voice. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to hear it and... The joy of that. So to be the first to find out, be sure to like our Facebook page. Links to that right on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Now, one of the things we do focus on is nostalgia, memorabilia, and that includes lunchboxes. Right, Kimmy? Mm, oh, yeah. Now, you never owned a lunchbox. Did you as a child? Nope. You, you were the brown bagger. Yeah. 
Well, actually, you walked home. You, you didn't you go home for lunch sometimes? I'd get a I'd get a ride home. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Gee. I'd go home for lunch. She had limo service <laughs> for lunch, but yeah. So you weren't really even a a brown beggar. You you would go home. Mm-hmm. But well, those odd few occasions where I would bring lunch, it was it was in a paper sack. Well, I bet you looked at those other kids with those lunch boxes at that time period. Those metal lunch boxes. And you were envious, weren't you? Mm. You wanted your metal lunchbox. They didn't even buy you one to have for storage or anything? No. Did anybody in your family have them? The older yeah. the older ones did, so you were left out. Well, Shame on them. Yeah. You know, why didn't they give you any of those? I would love to have some of those now. And you know what? They could be worth uh, a few dollars, Kimmy. Mm-hmm. We have 11 vintage lunchboxes that are worth more, way more, than you might have thought of. And to give you an idea, we're just going to go through some of these here of what they might be worth. Now, I'm going to ask, I'm going to give you the first one, mm-hmm. you know, what it's worth. Now, one that's on their expensive list, actually, I'm going to be dead honest here because we go to a lot of toy and collectible shows, and we have for many, many years, clear back into uh, a long time. Let's just <laughs> let's do that. Way, I mean, way before eBay, to give you an idea just how long we've went to toy and collectible shows, the prices on some of these that they are mentioning really are not out of hand. A lot what uh, depends on is the shape, the condition. Does it have a lot of rust? Does it have a thermos in it? The original thermos. These are things at play that maybe this article, this this posting does not have that we're going to share on our nerd news section of RileyandKimmy.com. you got to keep those things in mind. Or when I say a price here, you might go, ooh, that much? Well, it, it's really maybe not that expensive when you really think about it. Now, if you're looking to add that to your collection, you might say that is exactly worth it, and that sounds nice to me. Now, one of the top lunchboxes they have on their list, Kimmy, is, is one from one of your favorite TV shows of all time. Show debuted in 1969, but it's known from the 1970s and on. Welcome to Hee Haw, starring Buck Owens and Roy Clark. Yes, the Hee Haw Lunchbox, that is worth $65. Wow. Now, what amazes me is a Hee Haw Lunchbox was ever made. I know. Yes, a metal Hee Haw Lunchbox with... with It's not exactly a, a children's show. Well, well it, it was... Well, see, I disagree with you there. I think it's one of those that actually went multiple levels. It, uh, it did appeal to the adults, and I think the risqueness that they had on there was so... It was more adult hidden that only adults could see that, and, and it was tiered very well, I think, from that aspect. Okay. And even I know what you're talking about, you know, like the girls popping out of the cornfields and things like that. I, I, I think that was innocent to kids watching that part. They didn't, you know, get it. it. It had a certain innocence to it. It was able to get away with that part, but it appealed to generation. But, well, you know what? Kids, somebody out there has a Buck Owens... <laughs> And Roy Clark uh, lunchbox. Mm-hmm. And if you see one and it's priced at about $65, that might be a good price. Uh, I don't know if that 65 includes 
thermos has to have it or not. So I, that's one of these. They don't say you don't must have thermos for this price. They're not. They're not uh, having those things in there at all. Now the next one kind of surprises me. It's the 1977 still metal. Keep in mind metal. That's before some, as our good friend Ed Tucker of Fan Lexicon said, some some kid whacked another kid upside the head with a metal lunchbox, and then somebody sued, and then they made them all plastic for a while. Mm. Some somebody ruined it for everybody. Oh. All right, still made in metal. The 1977 Fantastic World of Hanna Barbera lunchbox. It features wow. As you look at this, Kimmy, here I'll share it with you here on my uh, handheld. Let's see if I can pull it up here. This is the item right there. Oh wow! It's got the cool. banana. You see, it's got the banana splits, the Jetsons. It has, it, yeah. It's got, it's got Fred. It's got uh, everybody. Let's see, Bam Bam. Did uh-huh. you did you see the price? No. All right. What would you think that is worth? 1977. It's got Fred Flintstone, oh. Barney. It's got Bam Bam. It's got Pebbles, Wilma. I don't see Betty. Oh, it's got the Jetsons in the background. It's got Snooper Snooper there. Hundred bucks. This is interesting. I thought this would be worth more. It is worth, they say the average price is $65. Hmm. Next one going up more in price, I'll tell you that much, is from the 1980s. It's the Dukes of Hazard Lunchbox, $73, if you can find the Dukes of Hazard Lunchbox. All right. I, I, I think that's getting really close in that plastic world. It's still metal. Land of the Lost. Do you remember that TV show? Oh, yeah. Land of the Lost. Loved it. Yeah, so did I. Well, they did, and I would like to find a Land of the Lost lunchbox too especially one that kind of showing here because it looks in very good condition has the t-rex right on it uh how much would you think it's got and by the way the t-rex really nice scene the t-rex is about to eat chaka <laughs> and i'll show you right here see uh, hold on a second there yeah t-rex is about to eat chaka Ooh. now how much 85 how did you know that i think you're exactly right you are exactly right 85 dollars for the land of the lost to see chaka almost eaten by a t-rex okay i assume it doesn't happen Mm. And the, the brother and sister there. Can you name them? Will and Holly. <laughs> that's that's right. And let's see. Moving over to one that goes up in price. I'll tell you that much. Give you a little bit of a, a clue. And it's one I'd actually, I, I think I've seen it before. I think somebody either in the collection or may I may have even seen it in school, even though it's from an older period of time. I should not have seen it in school, but maybe somebody had it as a hand-me-down. I would love to find this thing. It's the Mickey Mouse School Bus Lunchbox. Kimmy, Take a look at the Mickey Mouse school lunch box. Okay. That That's pretty cool, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and it's got Goofy and everybody on there. Price at $90. Then we move up to something else here, the Welcome Back Cotter lunch box. Now, I'm surprised there was actually, but maybe not, because ABC had the number one shows at that time period. Mm-hmm. So I guess it would appeal to children, too. Tell me how much this, the average price of this is. The 95 The Welcome Back Cotter lunchbox average price is one hundred and twenty-five dollars. Wow! And here's another favorite of yours: Happy Days lunchbox. Mm. Same price or higher? Uh, I'd say probably higher. Same price. Okay. Cot- and that's what that totally surprised me. I would think Happy Days have more uh, mm-hmm. value than the Cotter, but that that's what they claim. Now, here's one: the Partridge Family lunchbox. Mm. Worth more or less? Than the previous more. two we mentioned. You think more. Mm. Here's here's what it looks like. Okay. And they do have, if you know, thermos there. Uh-huh. How much? 130. You're exactly right. All right. Now, I will tell you this much. We are going up maybe not very much. We may be only going up a dollar or two, but we are going up <laughs> in the price here. The 1970 Star Trek, the motion picture, which 
lot of Trek fans, Trekkies, Trekkers, don't really want to even admit that happened. They actually made a lunchbox from that first motion picture, Kimmy. Okay. And what would you say this is going for average? Ooh, 135. You are very close. 137. Okay. This, you know, if we were doing that register game like on prices, right? You'd uh-huh. be you'd be going home with a sack of uh, <laughs> a sack of groceries. All right, Kimmy, the next one's from the 1970s. It's Smoky Bear, Smoky Bear lunchbox. Uh huh. How much is old Smoky Bear lunchbox there from the 70s? 140. Smoky Bear lunchbox. Be looking for your Smoky lunchbox as soon as possible because he is $200 average. Ooh. Yes, Smoky is uh, got some got some coin to him. The final one, Kimmy, is their big one. It is from the 1960s. I have never seen one of these. I'm looking forward to seeing one in the very near future. From the 1960s, a Beatles lunchbox. Whoa. How much? $250. $250 is what Kimmy says. $700 average wow. for that right there. Beatles lunchbox. We have the entire list available right on our nerd news section at RileyandKimmy.com. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh-huh. And I know a place you might be able to find some of those lunchboxes. I don't know if, you know, if you'll find one, but there you might find others. Maybe you'll find some of these that we mm-hmm. just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And that is in Jacksonville, Florida, coming up this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, at Fan Lexicon. The Riley and Kimmy Show is thankful, grateful, happy to be invited to this big event that's Fan Lexicon, full of collectibles. Fun times, nerd times, geek times, all happening in Jacksonville, Florida this Saturday and Sunday. The Retro-Rama Collectible Show is back, and it's now part of Fan Lexicon. Join us Saturday, August 20th, and Sunday, August 21st, at the Lexington Hotel in Jacksonville for a whole weekend of fun. Collectible dealers from all over the state will be buying, selling, and trading quality toys, comic books, anime, movie memorabilia, and much, much more. Join the costume and trivia contests and win cash prizes. Meet the voice of Space Ghost and Jim from Jim and the Holograms, plus Scooby-Doo animator Tom Cook and He-Man animator Mike Taub. Join the Pokemon Go Hunt and see the Peekabug car. Visit us online at www.fanlexicon.com. Don't miss it. Watch out, Jacksonville horror fans. Fan Lexicon is bringing in cult Florida filmmaker William Griffey on Saturday, August 20th and Sunday, August 21st at the Lexington Hotel. Meet the director of Racing Fever, Impulse, Mako Jaws of Death, and James Bond's Live and Let Die. Join him for a special screening of the Rattlesnake Revenge film, Stanley. You can also meet Doug Hobart, star of Death Curse of Tartu and Sting of Death, and the last surviving Ghostmaster from the golden age of spook shows. Visit us online at www.fanlexicon.com. Don't miss it. And we won't be missing it, right, Kimmy? Right. We're there both days. The Riley and Kimmy Show will be there. We'll be recording episodes of the Riley and Kimmy Show. Please stop on by our table or, or find us on the floor wherever we're at as we're covering this event. We'll uh, be uh, shooting video, recording video as well. And we're also looking for those who are brave enough to do cover versions of the Riley and Kimmy Show jingle. You'll hear that at the opening of every one of our shows is the Riley and Kimmy Show jingle by Outdated Slang. Lead singer Katie Roberts is the one building out that beautiful tune. And you can add your version, right, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. We don't care if it's a, a rap version, if it's a heavy metal version. It could be country. It could be anything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, classical. I, you know, it's up to your creativity. Be part of the Riley and Kimmy show at Fan Lexicon coming up this weekend. I mean, here's an example of somebody who was brave to sing the Riley and Kimmy show jingle. It's the Riley and Kimmy show. They have a really good show. They're in the know. It's the Riley and Kimmy show. Yes, 
Space Ghost himself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> saying, saying hey, hey, Riley and Gibby Show jiggle. So please join the Riley and Gibby Show. That's this weekend in Jacksonville. Let's look for some lunch boxes together, right, Gibby? Mm-hmm. Uh, can I go home with maybe a lunch box or two? We'll see. I promise it won't be a Beatles lunchbox. I know. I I promise it won't be that. You know, I could actually top that Beatles lunchbox with something else. There's one even way more than that. Really? I cannot. Oh, way more than that is uh, Mike Kales, a good friend of ours, a collector, pointed out there's a Superman lunchbox from 1956, I think it is, or so. That is way. I mean, it's. Mm. It, I think it's like fifteen thousand dollars or or oh. so. Don't hold me to that one if you're looking for that one, but it, it's worth a lot. It's a Brinks truck kind of lunchbox. Okay. Who knows what you will find. That's this weekend at Fan Lexicon in Jacksonville, Florida. Find out more about them on their website at fanlexicon.com. Kimmy, would you like to play Nerd and Pop Culture Geek Trivia? Yes. All right, it is time for Nerd and Pop Culture Geek Trivia. Here on the Riley and Kimmy Show, we'll be asking Kimmy some questions. If she gets more of them right than wrong, she wins absolutely nothing on this episode of the Riley and Kimmy Show. Oh, wait a minute, pocket lint. You get yourself some pocket yeah. lint. Okay. Yeah, Kimmy gets some pocket lint on this episode. If she gets it right, she's building a pocket lint creature. It'll be making its debut in an upcoming... Oh, and an upcoming Riley and Kimmy show appearance. I have no idea where and when. All I know is this thing's being made with a lot of fabric glue. And I have no idea how big it's going to be. And you'll be able to find out first just by liking our Facebook page. That's where we'll post its first uh, imagery. Okay, Kimmy, are you ready for your very first questions here on a Monday? Mm-hmm. Now, I guarantee we will not be going down the math route. We will not be asking you geometry, geography kind of questions. No spelling questions because I haven't given you a pad of paper or anything to write on because I know that's a requirement. You have to have something to write on to do the spelling bee. But I will be asking you some, well, maybe one or two history questions that are nerd and pop culture related. If you're okay with that. Oh, yeah. All right. Here we go. It's Monday, August 15th. And our very first question, Kimmy, we're going to go way back in time with something that actually does affect even the world of pop culture today. It was on this date, the year 1057. That's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. 1057, Kimmy. Macbeth, the king of Scotland, was killed by the son of King Duncan. Tell me, who would eventually write about that and make plays and it's been redone and redone and redone? William Shakespeare. That's correct. Now, what's interesting, you, you notice the year it happened was 1057. Now, Shakespeare wrote that way later, a mm-hmm. lot later. I mean, a lot later. He wrote it between 1599 and 1606. It first took the stage in 1611. So you're talking over 500 years. So think about that. If you right now you could write an event from 500 years ago, would be like, yeah, get mm. get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Be like something back in 1500. I'd be writing about today mm-hmm. and making a play about it. Yeah, that's kind of a trip, isn't it? Oh yeah. Five, I mean, that's a lot of time. 500 years difference. It's on this date, Kimmy. 1848. Something was made that, oh, well, I know, makes you happy. It makes a lot of people happy. I guarantee you'll probably grab your mouth now. The dental chair was patented on this date in 1848. If it hadn't been, Kimmy, we may never have heard this. That hurt? Uh-huh. No. I should think it would. should take better care of your teeth. You have a, a quite a cavity here. Is it safe? Kimmy, what movie is that from where somebody plays dentist? Very, very nasty very nasty Marathon voice. Man? That's correct. Marathon Man from 1976, starring Dustin Hoffman, Lawrence Olivier playing dentist there. Did you ever see that movie? Mm-mm. Never saw that movie? You're, I, oh, ooh, I think we're going to make you watch that one. 
I, I not make you, but I suggest strongly suggest. I think you might like it actually. Mm. Even though it does have that dental scene in there, mm. and you you kind of knew what it was the you knew it was from at least from the dental scene, right? Mm-hmm. It was 1877. Thomas Edison wrote to the president of the telegraph company in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The reason he wrote was about the telephone, and he stated that the word "hello" would be a more appropriate greeting than what? What was what were people saying instead of "hello" to answer the phone? There's no way you're going to get this. It's 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 hey? a tr- it, it's almost as bad. Ahoy! Oh, ahoy! Okay. Only thing missing is matey. Ahoy, matey! All right. That was 1877. It was 1911. The product Crisco was introduced by Procter and Gamble. It was 1914. The Panama Canal was officially opened to commercial traffic. Moving over to this, Kimmy. It was on this date in history. This movie made its debut. Here is your clue. We all right, what's the movie, Kimmy? Wizard of Oz. See, there you got some pocket lint. We, we made it. We threw you a good one there. Okay, give me the year. Thirty-nine. That's correct. It was 1948. CBS TV inaugurated the first nightly news broadcast with an anchorman, and that person was Douglas Edwards. You may remember him as a kid. He used to come on during the probably your as your childhood. He would come on during the soap operas and like the. 11 o'clock newscast, somewhere around in there, do a quick update. Mm. You know, go, this is CBS News mm-hmm. and something like that. So you kind of probably remember him. It was 1958. Buddy Holly and Marie Santiago were married. It was 1961. East German workers began construction of what? The Berlin Wall. That's correct. 1965, the Beatles set a record for having the largest single crowd at a concert at Shea Stadium in New York. What was that attendance, Kimmy? Within 10,000. Oh. Remember the year, 1965. 300,000. Oh, boy. All right, me. it was 56,000. That was considered a lot, 1965. Okay. Give me the year the Woodstock Music and Art Fair began in New York. 67? 1969 is when the hippies converged to New York. Now, this was supposed to be a three-day concert, but it went over to a four-day concert. Can you tell me how many acts performed? 20? Yeah, originally it was supposed to be 20-something that performed. It was 32 that actually performed with an audience of 400,000 people. Hmm. Did you know anybody who ever went to Woodstock that you actually believe they went? Mm-mm. Did you ever have anybody or come in contact with somebody go, oh, I went to Woodstock? So you never encountered that. Now, actually, you did in a way because at a radio station I was manager of, I hired somebody who was at Woodstock. Mm. We won't name him. Mm-hmm. He gave us a bunch of Woodstock paraphernalia. It was really cool. Remember that? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was that person. So you kind of met somebody who was at Woodstock in 1969. It was 1971, Kimmy. This United States president announced a 90-day freeze on wages, rents, and prices. Tell me the president. The year 1971. Nixon. That's correct. Do you remember that at all? Mm -hmm. Or hearing about that? Mm -mm. All right. 1979, Led Zeppelin's album In Through the Outdoor was released. This was the last album released by the band prior to the death of John Bonham. Moving over further into the almanac, another music question. Well, actually, music question. Fact, and Kimmy's going to give us an answer, I think, here. It was 1975. It was the original lead singer of a band called Genesis. Tell me who this is. He said, I'm out on this date in 1975, and who replaced him? Phil Collins. 
Who retired in 1975? Oh. Who retired in 1975 as the original lead singer? As the original lead singer. Um, he would have a success. Peter Gabriel. That's right. Peter Gabriel, 1975, replaced by whom? Phil Collins. Yeah, Phil Collins was a replacement after more than 400 potential musicians auditioned for the role. Hmm. That's kind of cool. Yeah, wow. Now, you know, I, I have to ask our good friend Terry Moore, a percussionist from Outdated Slang, how he, well, I know he's done it in the past, how he performs, you know, drumming and singing at the same time. Uh-huh. That to me has got to be, yeah, I don't know how you do that. Yeah. Uh, that's, because you're keeping the, uh, you know, that's, that's, he's got a good brain. Mm-hmm. That's all we got to say. He's got to have a really good brain to be doing that one. Birthdays today, give me notables, Napoleon Bonaparte. What country was Napoleon Bonaparte part of? France. That's correct. Born on this date, died in 1821 at the age of 51. Julia Child, well, she passed away just the other day, but she was born on this date in history. Yeah, she died just a few days apart from her birthday. Hmm. Do you remember how old she was when we talked about that when she passed? She passed away on August 13th, 2004. You won an omelet over this. Hmm. She's important to you. I thought you meant she just died. No. <laughs> um, 90. She was 91 when she passed away in 2004. Okay. See if you can identify this notable Kimmy as we move over to somebody really known. Well, they're known for a lot of things because they were part of vaudeville, part of motion pictures, radio, and television. They're known for a certain TV show in the 1960s and also more in the 70s for a certain game show called Hollywood Squares. See if you can identify with this brief clue here who this is. I'll tell you what the TV show is if you can't get who they are, then you should be able to identify who it is. Here, here is your clue. This audience is beautiful. It's like a lovely garden of flowers. And we'll always be friends forever. Yes, you'll be my friend to the very end. Do you know who that is? She played Sally on the Dick Van Dyke Show. Mm-hmm. And what is her name? Rosemarie. That's correct. Rosemarie. How old is Rosemarie today? She is having a birthday Today, Kimmy's eyes just about bugged out like something from Ren and Stimpy. Yes, she she is having a birthday today. How old is she? 95. She is 93 years old today, Kimmy. Okay. And she was extremely well-known as a child. She was a child star, child singer. And I have a feeling uh, whatever happened to uh, Rosemary, no, no, whatever happened to baby Jane might be a little bit based on her, just a tad, just a tad because of the, the childhood height she was the first person to be known by their first name as a, as a star basically the mm. first who just went by her first name hmm. you know, so she, you know where would Cher be where would madonna be without her right hmm. 93 I, just that look was priceless Gibby, that you gave me when i asked how i wouldn't old. have guessed she was still with us all right give me the next person i'm going to ask you who it is i'm going to give you an audio clue too uh, the person, the actor, is Mike Connors. He is known for a certain TV show. He is with us. Tell us how old he is after this audio clue. Tell me the TV show.
I have a feeling Kimmy knows this. I'll give her an extra clue here just in case she doesn't so she can adjust her answer. The, the TV show had a really unique opening at the time. It used the comic book panels, the comic strip kind of panel opening to it. It was created by the guy who did Mission Impossible. And the actor, Mike Connors, played the lead. He played a detective in it. Can you tell me the name of the TV show? Mannix? That's correct. Mannix. How old is Mike Connors today? 91. Exactly right. Ooh. Pocket Lint is coming your way. Did you ever watch that show, by the way? Yes. You liked Mannix. Uh-huh. Well, if you've missed Mannix, have no idea what Mannix is, or you'd like to go back in time and enjoy Mannix, Heroes and Icons TV network runs Mannix every day. Might even run double uh, episodes. Not sure about that one, but at least once a day. Another person from older TV, from the 1960s, classic TV, having a birthday. I will tell you the name and then give you a clue. You tell me the TV show that they're known for. And extra points if you can tell me the character they played. The person having a birthday today is Pat Priest. Tell me the TV show she is famous for. All right, Kimmy, that's your audio clue. Tell me the TV show she's famous for. The Monsters. That's correct. What's the name of the character she played? Marilyn. She is the second Marilyn. She replaced the one who started the series after 13 episodes she took over. Ran from 1964 to 66. How old is Pat Priest today? You saw her recently at Spooky Empire in Orlando. 85. She is 80 today. Moving okay. over to the music category, Pete York, age 74, one of the original members of Spencer Davis Group. Linda Ellerby, do you know what she's known for? What profession? Having mm, a birthday today? It's vaguely familiar. Newsperson, having a birthday, age 72, Deborah Messing. Do you know that actress? Mm -hmm. How old is Deborah Messing today? Uh, 50. She is 48. You know the TV show she's really famous for? Mm, I can't do it. Eight years on Will and Grace. Yeah, I knew it was one I hadn't watched. All right, but you knew who she was. I was surprised. That's why mm -hmm. I didn't really have as a clue, so you still get your, your, uh, your pocket lens, okay? okay. Mm-hmm. Tell me who this birthday person is and how old they are. Here is your audio clue. Tell me, do you bleed? You will. Who, who is that having a birthday today, Gibby? Ben Affleck. That's right. How old is Ben Affleck today? Hmm. 52? He is 44 today. Really? Yes, really. He's wow. 44 today. Okay. And moving over... To another actor, an actress having a birthday. See if you can identify who this world-famous actress is. Might be kind of tough. This is her natural speaking voice. See if you can identify who this is and tell me how old she is. I, my whole life is destroyed. I've been dropped by my publicist. My parents are going to be gone by the time I get back there. They're going to be like, you didn't vote on Sarah in the first place. <clears throat> They're from Kentucky. Well, I was doing such a thick, thick southern accent. Um, I had a dream the other night that I had a southern accent. I couldn't get out of it, and I was on set, and I was like, I can't get out of my accent. I don't know why. All right, Kimmy, this actress is the highest paid and most successful actress in the world currently. Sandra Bullock? This actress is the highest paid and most successful actress in the world with films grossing over $5 billion worldwide. Scarlett Johansson? Known for the film's... Of the Hunger Games series. Known for playing... Oh. oh, do you know who it is? Um, Jennifer Lawrence. That's correct. Jennifer Lawrence having a birthday today. How old is Jennifer Lawrence? 
28. She is 26 today. Moving over to notable deaths today. Will Rogers passed away on this date in history in 1935. He was huge in uh, film and also radio and wrote more than 4,000 nationally syndicated newspaper columns. Very big in pop culture up to the 1935 date when he passed away in an airplane crash. Give you a brief sample here. This is just a few seconds because very few people, you know, I think he's kind of forgotten, unfortunately. But he influenced the, the Johnny Carson. He influenced monologues. So many individuals, a setup of what he would talk about reading from the newspaper. You know, that's what Carson would do. He would take a lot of things out of the newspaper. Steve Allen did that before Carson. Others did, but he did it really first and made it his own. Here's a sample of Will Rogers. Why this is special. This is from 1923 on the radio. This somehow was recorded. 1923. People did not record things in 1923. Matter of fact, it was hard, it's hard to find things in the 30s and 40s that have survived or were recorded. This one was from 1923. Here's the voice of Will Rogers. Now, folks, all I know is just what little news I read every day in the papers. Everybody's talking about what's the matter with this country and what the country needs. What this country needs worse than anything else is a place to park your car. What our big cities need is another orange you need. Orange age stand. I read an Irish paper the other day and it says liquor is 18 cents quart. Can you imagine a nation wanting more freedom than that? See where the Ku Klux is coming into New York? Yes, sir. Now, I found it interesting there, 1923, and he's talking about what's wrong with the country. It sort of sounds like you're, you know, having a conversation today somewhere with somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's Will Rogers. There's plenty of his material available if you're of interest uh, of him. He passed away on this date in 1935. Thought we'd go back in time now to the golden age of radio. No, it's not Will Rogers we're going to focus on. We're actually going to do something a little bit different here. We're going to add a little bit of class to the Riley and Kibbe Show. Radio That's O'Reilly and Kimmy Show. Anytime we have an opportunity to go back in time to the golden age of radio, otherwise known as old-time radio, OTR for those collectors, those enthusiasts out there, we take that advantage and we like to let individuals know what this was all about, what the golden age of radio was about. We try to keep it alive because it did influence television and we still feel those influences today. The golden age of radio had all kinds of programs on it. Comedies, superheroes were even there. There was dramas, there was science fiction, fantasy, westerns. Oh, boy, you name it. it. It was there. Variety shows, too. And some things like we're going to right now. The show was called Best Plays. Best Plays went on the air from 1952 is when it actually went on the air and lasted in 1953. Best Plays was a NBC radio program that featured some of the most excellent theatric plays ever created some of the best ones featured were dramatic or comedic plays. John Chapman, a New York Daily News drama critic, served as a program's host. And we have a best play. I thought since uh, we were talking about Macbeth, let's focus on Macbeth from July 13th, 1953. Here's Macbeth, best plays on The Riley and Kimmy Show. From New York, where the American stage begins, NBC presents Best Plays with John Chapman. (laughs) 
Best Plays, a series of hour-length dramas selected from the outstanding successes of the New York stage. Now, John Chapman, drama critic of the New York Daily News, is here to introduce Eva the Gallion and Stutz Cotsworth with Paul McGrath and Horace Bram in Macbeth by William Shakespeare. Mr. Chapman. Thank you, Fred Collins, and welcome, audience. Like all the other works of Shakespeare, Macbeth has been subject to alterations, trimmings, and treatments ever since Elizabethan times. And it is quite likely that the author himself, being a practical actor, did quite a lot of monkeying with the script after the first draft was completed. Any play, no matter how bad or how trivial, is subject to interpretations by the people who are producing it and acting it. The works of Shakespeare, being the greatest we have had in the history of the stage or the history of literature, are so filled with life and color and strength that they lend themselves to an endless variety of interpretations. Macbeth can be played in many ways. Our principal actors at this performance, Eva Legallian and Stotts Cotsworth, are devoted Shakespeareans, and they are interested in Macbeth as a study of progressive crime. They see the drama as a story of the dreadful ambition of Lady Macbeth and the manner in which this ambition brought about the disintegration and doom of her husband. The locale is the Scotland of the 11th century. And, of course, the drama begins as it must begin with the meeting of the three weird sisters on the moor. When shall we three meet again? In thunder, lightning, or in rain? When the hurly-burly's done. When the battle's lost. And won. That will be ever set of fun. Where the place? Upon the heath. There to meet with Macbeth. I come, Gwen Alton. Had a cold. And all fair is foul. And all is fair. Hover through the fog and filth the air. Those are the voices of the three weird sisters witches who await the coming of Macbeth. They are real, these witches, as the spirit of evil, of destiny is real. Their influence on Macbeth and Lady Macbeth's influence on her husband is desolate and tragic. As we meet Macbeth first, a warrior in the service of Duncan, King of Scotland, a great battle is at hand on a wide Scottish heath. Macbeth and his fellow general, Banquo, lead the forces of Duncan against the invading Norwegian army. And the Thane of Ross, with tidings for the king, rides from the battlefield across the heath to Duncan's encampment. The worthy Thane of Ross. Hail, brave friend. Say unto us the knowledge of the broil as thou didst leave it. Doubtful it stood, as two spent swimmers that do cling together and choke their art. The Norwegian lord, assisted by that most disloyal traitor, the Thane of Cawdor, began a dismal conflict. But brave Macbeth, disdaining fortune, with his brandished steel, carved out his passage till he faced the slave, which ne'er shook hands nor bade farewell to him till he unseamed him from the knave to the chap and fixed his head upon our battlements. Ah, valiant cousin, worthy gentleman. And to conclude, the victory fell on us. Great happiness. No more that thane of Cordor shall deceive our bosom interest. Go, pronounce his present death, and with his former title, Greek Macbeth. Well, 
sailor's wife. People lived with witchcraft in 11th century Scotland. It was both good and evil, science and sin. It explained the unexplainable. On the heath between the battlefield and Duncan's encampment, the three witches, the weird sisters, meet again. They're here to meet with Macbeth and Bancor as they had promised they would do. In a circle of boiling cauldron. And I another. Look what I have. Show me. Show me. Here I have a pile of thumbs. Left as homeward he did come. A drum. A drum. Macbeth doth come. And Banquo with him. The weird sisters hand in hand. Posters of the sea and land. Thus to go about. About. Thrice to thine. And thrice to mine. And thrice again to make up nine. The charms wound up. So foul and fair a day I have not seen. How far is cold to forest? What are these? So withered and so wild in their attire that look not like the inhabitants of the earth and yet are aren't. Speak if you can. What are you? All hail, Macbeth. Hail to thee, Thane of Glamour. All hail, Macbeth. Hail to thee, Thane of Cordor. Uh, All hail, Macbeth. That shalt be king hereafter. Good sir, why do you start and seem to fear things that do sound so fair? In the name of truth, I am fantastical, or that indeed, which outwardly you show. My noble partner you greet with present grace and great prediction of noble having and of royal hope. That he seems wrapped with all. To me, you speak not. Hail, hail. Banquo, hail. Lesser than Macbeth and greater. Not so happy, yet much happier. Thou shalt get king, so thou be not. What? All hail, Macbeth and Banquo. Banquo and Macbeth, all hail. Stay, you imperfect speakers. Tell me more. By Sinil's death, I know I am Thane of Glams, but how of Cordor? The Thane of Cordor lives, a prosperous gentleman. And to be king stands not within the prospect of belief, no more than to be Cordor. Say from whence you owe this strange intelligence, or why upon this blasted heath you stop our way with such prophetic greeting. Speak, I charge you. I vanished. The earth hath bubbles as the water has, and these are up and whither are they banished into the air. And what seemed corporal melted as breath into the wind. Would they have stayed? Were such things here as we do speak about, or have we eaten on the insane root that takes the reason prisoner? Your children shall be king. You shall be king. And Thane of Cordor, too, went it not so. To the self-same tune in words. Who's here? Is Ross. The king hath happily received Macbeth the news of thy success. And when he reads thy personal venture in the rebels' fight, his wonders and his praises do contend which should be thine or his. And for an earnest of a greater honor, he bade me from him call thee Thane of Cordor, in which addition hail, most worthy Thane, for it is thine. What? Can the devil speak true? The Thane of Cordor lives. Why do you dress me in borrowed robes? Who was the Thane lives yet, but under heavy judgment bears that life which he deserves to lose. Treason's capital, confessed and proved, have overthrown him. Clums and Thane of Cordor. 
The greatest is behind. Thanks for your pains. Banquo, do you not hope your children shall be kings? When those that gave the thane of Cordor to me promised no less to them? <laughs> that trusted home might yet enkindle you into the crown besides the thane of Cordor. But is strange and oftentimes. To win us to our harm, the instruments of darkness tell us truths. Win us with honest trifles to betray us in deepest consequence. Cousin, a word, I pray you. Two truths are told as happy prologues to the swelling act of the imperial theme. I am Fane of Cordor. Yet why do I yield to that suggestion whose horrid image they'll unfix my hair and make my seated heart knock at my ribs against the use of nature? Present fears are less than horrible imaginings. My thought whose murder yet is but fantastical, shakes so my single state of man that function is smothered in surmise. And nothing is but what is not. Thus, Macbeth, his heart pounding, his mind racing, tries to banish the thoughts that come to him. He cannot. He reaches Duncan's encampment and hears the king fix the line of succession to the throne. We will establish our estate upon our eldest, uh, Malcolm, whom we name hereafter the Prince of Cumberland. Then, indeed, does Macbeth's mind race. The Prince of Cumberland. That is a step on which I must fall down or else all leap for in my way it lies. Stars, hide your fires. Let not light see my black and deep desires. The eye weak at the hand. Yet let that be which the eye fears when it is done to see. <laughs> meanwhile, at Macbeth's castle, Lady Macbeth reads a letter her lord has sent her. They met me in the day of success. And I've learned by the perfectest report they have more in them than mortal knowledge. When I burned in desire to question them further, they made themselves air, into which they vanished. While I stood wrapped in the wonder of it came missives from the king who all hailed me, Thane of Cordor, by which title before these weird sisters saluted me, and referred me to the coming on of time with hail. King, that shalt be. This have I thought good to deliver thee, my dearest partner of greatness, that thou mightst not lose the dues of rejoicing by being ignorant of what greatness is promised thee. Lay it to thy heart, and farewell. Glums thou art. And Cordor, and shalt be what thou art promised. Yet do I fear thy nature. It is too full of the milk of human kindness to catch the nearest way. Thou wouldst be great, not, not without ambition, but without the illness should attend it. What thou wouldst highly, that wouldst 
thou holy wouldst not play false and yet wouldst wrongly win thou'st have great glams that which cries thus must thou do if thou have it and that which rather thou dost fear to do than wishes should be undone hide thee that I may pour my spirits in my ear and chastise with the valor of my tongue all that impedes thee from the golden round which fate and metaphysical aid doth seem to have thee crowned with all. My lady. What is your tidings? The king comes here tonight. That mad to fate. Is not thy master with him who would so would have informed for preparation? So please you would have too. Our thane is coming. One of my fellows had the speed of him, who almost dead for breath, had scarcely more than would make up his message. His entire tending, he brings great news. The raven himself is horse that croaks the fatal entrance of Duncan under my battlements. Come, you spirits that tend on mortal thoughts. Unsex me here, and fill me from the crown to the toe top full of direst cruelty. Make thick my blood. Stop up the access and passage to remorse that no compunctious visitings of nature shake my fell purpose, nor keep peace between the effect and it. Come to my woman's breasts and take my milk for gall, you murdering ministers, wherever in your sightless substances you wait on nature's mischief, come, thick night, and pall thee in the dunnest smoke of hell, that my keen knife see not the wound it makes, nor heaven peeps through the blanket of the dark to cry, hold, hold. Great glance, worthy Cordor, greater than both by the all hail hereafter. No. Thy letters have transported me beyond this ignorant present that I feel now, the future in the instant. My dearest love, Duncan comes here tonight. And when goes hence? Tomorrow, as he purposes. Uh. Never shall sun that morrow see. Your face, my fane, is as a book where men may read strange matters. To beguile the time, look like the time. Bear welcome in your eye, your hand, your tongue. Look like the innocent flower. But be the serpent under it. He that's coming must be provided for. And you shall put this night's great business into my dispatch, which shall to all our nights and days to come give solely sovereign sway and master them. We will speak further. Only look up clear. To alter favor ever is to fear. Leave all the rest to me. <laughs> When the king has come and has been greeted by Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, 
And when the king and all his train have been seated at table, then Macbeth, his fixed smile of welcome fading from his face, leaves his banquet hall to be alone. If it were done when it is done, then twere well it were done quickly. If the assassination could trammel up the consequence and catch with his surcease success, that but this blow might be the be-all and the end-all here. But here upon this bank and shoal of time we jump the life to come. But in these cases we still have judgment here. That we but teach bloody instructions which being taught return to plague the inventor. This even-handed justice commends the ingredients of our poisoned chalice to our own lips. He's here in double trust. First, as I am his kinsman and his subject strung both against the deed. Then as his host who should against his murderer shut the door. Not bear the knife myself. Besides, this Duncan hath borne his faculties so meek, hath been so clear in his great office, that his virtues will plead like angels trumpet-tongued against the deep damnation that is taking off, and pity like a naked newborn babe striding the blast or heaven's chariot been horsed upon a sightless courier's of the air, shall blow the horrid deed in every eye, that tears shall drown the wind. I have no spur to prick the sides of my intent, but only vaulting ambition, which all leaps itself and falls on the other how do I what news? He has almost supped. Why have you left the chamber? Have he asked for me? No, you not. He has. We will proceed no further in this business. He hath honored me of late, and I have bought golden opinions from all sorts of people, which would be worn now and then. You is lost, not cast aside so soon. Was the hope drunk wherein you rest yourself? Has it slept since and wakes it now to look so green and pale at what it did so freely? From this time, such I account thy love. Art thou afeard to be the same in thine own act and valor as thou art in desire? Wouldst thou have that which thou esteemst the ornament of life? Or live a coward in mine own esteem, letting I dare not wait upon I would like the poor cat in the adage? Pretty peace I dare do all that may become a man who dares do more is none. What beast was then that made you break this enterprise to me? When you durst do it, then you were a man. Nor time, nor place did then adhere. And yet you would make both. They have made themselves. And that their fitness now does unmake you. I have given suck. And know how tender it is to love the babe that milks me. I would, while it was smiling in my face, have plucked my nipple from his boneless gums and dashed. The brains out had I so sworn, as you have done to this. If we should fail. We fail. But screw your courage to the sticking place, and we'll not fail. When Duncan is asleep, where to the rather shall his day's hard journey soundly invite him, his two chamberlains will I with wine and wassail so convince that memory, the warder of the brain, shall be a fume. 
and the receipt of reason, a limbic only. When in swinish sleep, their drenched natures lie as in a death. What cannot you and I perform upon the unguarded Duncan? What not put upon his spongy officers who shall bear the guilt of our great quell? Bring forth men children only. For thy undaunted metal should compose nothing but males. Will it not be received when we have marked with blood those sleepy two of his own chamber and used their very daggers that they have done? Who dares receive it, other? And we shall make our griefs and clamor roar upon his death. I am settled. And bend up each corporal agent to this terrible feat. Away. And mark the time with fairest show. False face must hide what the false heart does know. Now the castle is dark and sleeping. Macbeth in the empty courtyard turns to a sleepy servant. Go be thy mistress. When my drink is ready, she strike upon the bell. Get thee to bed. Is this a dagger which I see before me? My handle toward my hand. Come, let me clutch thee. I have thee not, and yet I see thee still. Art thou not fatal vision, sensible to feeling as to sight? Or art thou but a dagger of the mind, a false creation proceeding from the heat-oppressed brain? I see thee yet in form as palpable as this which thou I draw. Thou marshalst me the way that I was going, and such an instrument I was to use. Mine eyes are made the fools of the other senses, or else worth all the rest. I see thee still, and on thy blade and dudgeon gouts of blood, which was not so before. There's no such thing. It is the bloody business which informs thus to mine eyes. Now, for the one half-world, nature seems dead, and wicked dreams abuse the curtain sleep. Witchcraft celebrates pale Hecate's offerings, and withered murder, alarmed by his sentinel, the wolf whose howls his watch, thus with his stealthy pace, with Tarquin's ravishing strides towards his design, moves like a ghost. Thou, sure and firm set earth, Hear not my steps which way they walk, for fear thy very stones break of my whereabout and take the present horror from the time which now suits with it. Whiles I threat, he lives. Words to the heat of deeds too cold breath gives. I go, and it is done. The bell invites me. Hear it not, Duncan, for it is a knell that summons thee to heaven. 
or to hell. Macbeth goes slowly into the castle. And slowly, almost reluctantly, past the king's guards, whom Lady Macbeth has stupefied with wine, and enters the king's chamber. In the room beyond, Lady Macbeth waits. That which has made them drunk has made me bold. What has quenched them has given me fire. Hark! Ah! It was the owl that shrieked, the fatal bellman that gives us terms good night. He is about it. The doors are open, and the surfeited grooms do mock their charge with snores. I have drugged their possets that death and nature do contend about them, whether they live or die. Who's there? What for? Alack! I am afraid they have awaked, and tis not done. The attempt and not the deed confounds us. made their daggers ready, he could not miss them. Had he not resembled my father as he slept, I had done it. My husband... I have done the deed. Uh, Didst thou not hear a noise? I heard the owl scream and the crickets cry. Did not you speak? When? Now. As I descended? I... Huck! Who lies in the second chamber? Don't obey. This is a sorry sight. A foolish thought to say a sorry sight. This one did laugh in sleep, and one cried murder that they did wake each other. I stood and heard them, but they did say their prayers and address them again to sleep. There are two lodged together. One cried, God bless us and our men. The other, as they had seen me with his hangman's hands. Listening their fear, I could not say amen when they did say God bless us. Consider it not so deeply. But wherefore could I not pronounce amen? I had most need of blessing and amen stuck in my throat. These deeds must not be thought after these ways, so it will make us mad. Methought I heard a voice cry, sleep no more. Macbeth does murder sleep. The innocent sleep. Sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care. The death of each day's life, sore labor's bath, balm of hurt minds, great nature's second course, chief nourisher in life's feast. What do you mean? Till he cried, sleep no more, to all the house. Doms have murdered sleep, and therefore Cordor shall sleep no more. Macbeth shall sleep no more. Who was it that thus cried? One worthy fame. You do unbend your noble strength to think so brain-sickly on things. Oh, get some water and wash this filthy witness from your hand. (gasps) Why did you bring these daggers from the place? They must lie there. Go carry them and smear the sleepy grooms with blood. I'll go no more. I am afraid to think what I have done. Look unto again, I dare not. Infirm of purpose. Give me the daggers. Sleeping in the dead are but as pictures. Tis the eye of childhood that fears a painted devil. If you do bleed, I'll gild the faces of the grooms with all For it must seem their guilt. Which is that knocking? How is it with me when every noise appalls me? What hands are here? They pluck out mine eyes. 
Will all great Neptune's ocean wash this blood clean from my hand? No. This my hand will rather the multitude in a seas incarnadine, making the green one red. My hands are of your color, but I shamed when a heart so white. Hear the knocking at the south entry. Retire we to our chamber. A little water clears us of this deed. How easy is it then? Your constancy has left you unattended. Hark, more knocking. Get on your nightgown, Mr. Cajun. Call us and show us to be watchers. Be not lost so poorly in your thoughts. To know my deed, to best not know myself. Wait, Duncan, with thy knocking. I would thou could. Here's a knocking indeed. Knock, knock, knock. Who's there in the name of Beelzebub? Knock, knock. Who's there in the other devil's name? Anon, anon. My Lord Macduff. Thy master Sterling? Ah, my knocking has wakened him. Here he comes. Good morrow, noble sir. Macduff, good morrow. Is the king stirring, worthy then? Not yet. He did command me to call timely on him. I'd almost slipped the hour. I'll bring you to him. I know this is a joyful trouble to you. Yes, it is one. A labor we delight in physics, pain. This is the door. I'll make so bold to call, for it is my limited service. Oh! Oh, come your heart cannot conceive no name is. What's the matter? Confusion now hath made his masterpiece. Most sacrilegious murder hath broke up the Lord's anointed temple and stole thence the life of the building. What is it you say, the life? We knew his majesty. Approach the chamber and destroy your sight with a new gorgon. Do not bid me speak, see, and then speak yourselves. Awake! Awake! Ring the alarm bell, murder and treason! Ben and Donald Bain Mel, come away! Lady, lady, woe last in your house. Too cruel anywhere, did up I pretty contradict myself and say it is not so. Had I but died an hour before this chance, I had lived a blessed time. For from this instant there's nothing serious in mortality. All is but toys. Renown and grace is dead. The wine of life is drawn. And the mere lees is left as false to brag of. What is the miss? You are and do not know it. The spring, the head, the fountain of your blood is stopped. The very source of it is stopped. Your royal father's murdered. Oh! By whom? Those of his chamber, as it seems, had dumped. The hands and faces were all bad with blood. So were their daggers. Which on white I found upon their pillows. They stared and were distracted. No man's life was to be trusted with him. Oh, yet I do repent me of my fury that I did kill them. <gasps> Why? Wherefore did you so? Why? Who? Who can be wise, amazed, temperate, and furious, loyal and neutral in a moment? No man. The expedition of my virus love outran the pause of reason. 
Here lay Duncan, his silver skin laced with his golden blood, and his gashed stabs looked like a breach in nature for ruins, wasteful entrance. They are the murderers, deep in the colors of their trade, their daggers unmannerly breached with gore. Who could refrain that had a heart to love and in that heart courage that makes love known? Ah! Help me, Hans! Ah! Look to the lady! In a moment, Act Two of Macbeth, starring Eva Legallion and Scott Scottsworth. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Now, Act Two of the Best Plays production of Macbeth, starring Eva Legallion and Scott Scottsworth, with Paul McGrath and Horace Braham. Is known who did this more than bloody deed? Those that Macbeth hath slain. So no suspicion falls at first upon Macbeth. In fact... Malcolm and Donald Bain, the king's two sons, are stolen away and fled, which puts upon them suspicion of the deed. It is, of course, for another reason the King Duncan's sons have fled. Their daggers and men's smiles. And surely for the sons of the slain king this is true. It is fear that has caused them to leave the country. But for the moment, at least, their very leaving makes unlikely the discovery of Macbeth's treachery. As the highest and noblest of the lords is invested with the crown, only Banquo does not join in the general rejoicing. And only secretly and alone does Banquo allow his suspicions any expression. Thou hast it now. King Corder Glamis all. As the weird women promised. And I fear thou pledged most foully for it. Yet it was said it should not stand in thy posterity, but that myself should be the root and father of many kings. If there come truth from them, as upon thee, Macbeth, their speeches shine, why by the verities on thee made good? May they not be my oracles as well, and set me up in hope. But hush no more. Here's our chief guest. Van Quote, tonight we hold a solemn supper, sir, and I'll request your presence. Let your highness command upon me, to the which my duties are with the most indissoluble tie forever knit. Ride you this afternoon? I'm a good lord. We should have else desired your good advice, which still have been both grave and prosperous in this day's council. But we'll take tomorrow. Is far you ride? As far, my lord, as will fill up the time twixt this and supper, go not my horse the better. I must become a borrower of the night for a dark hour or twain. Fail not our feast. My lord, I will not. Goes fleance with you? Aye, my good lord. I our wish... time does call upon us. I wish your horses swift and sure of foot, and so I do commend you to their backs. Farewell. To be thus is nothing but to be safely thus. Our fears in Banquo stick deep. And in his royalty of nature reigns that which would be feared. Tis much he dares. And to that dauntless temper of his mind, he hath a wisdom that doth guide his valor to act in safety. There is none but he whose being I do fear. 
He chid the sisters when first they put the name of king upon me, bade them speak to him, then profit like they hailed him father to a line of kings. Upon my head they placed a fruitless crown and put a barren scepter in my gripe, thence to be wrenched with an unlineal hand, no son of mine succeeding. If it be so, for Banquo's issue have I filed my mind, for them, the gracious Duncan, have I murdered, put rancors in the vessel of my peace only for them, and mine eternal jewel given to the common enemy of man to make them kings. The seed of Banquo. Kings? Rather than so, come fate into the list and champion me to the utterance. And Macbeth passes into his castle. Go swiftly to a chamber where two villainous-looking men await his pleasure. Was it not yesterday we spoke together? It was, so please, Your Highness. Well, then, now, have you considered of my speeches? Know that it was he in the times past which held you so under fortune which you thought had been our innocent self. This I made good to you and all things else that might to half a soul into a notion crazed say, thus did Banquo. You made it known to us. Both of you know. Banquo was your enemy. True, my lord. So is he mine. And in such bloody distance that every minute of his being thrusts against my nearest of life. We shall, my lord, perform as you command us. To our lives. Your spirits shine through you. Within this hour at most, I will advise you where to plant yourselves, acquaint you with a perfect spy of the time, the moment on for it must be done tonight, then, something from the palace. Always thought that I require a clearness, and with him to leave no rubs nor butches in the work. Fleance, his son, that keeps him company, whose absence is no less material to me than is his father's, must embrace the fate of that dark hour. Resolve yourselves apart. I'll come to you anon. We are resolved, my lord. I'll call upon you straight. Abide within. It is concluded. Then call thy soul's flight. If it find heaven, must find it out tonight. At a good distance from the castle, the two murderers hide and wait, straining their eyes and ears for Banquo and Pleans. It will be rain tonight. Let it come down! Fly, 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 fly! revenge! After Fleance! After him! But young Fleance has escaped. Fleance is gone. Meanwhile, in the castle, the banquet is about to start. You know your own degrees. Sit down. At first and last, a hearty welcome. Thanks to your majesty. Here had we now our country's honor roof, where the graced person of our banquet present, who may I rather challenge for unkindness than pity for misgun. His absence, sir, lays blame upon his promise. Please, your highness, to grace us with your royal company. The table's full. Here is a place reserved, sir. Where? Here, my good lord. 
What is that moves your highness? Which of you have done this? What, my good lord? Thou canst not say I did it. Never shake thy gory locks at me. Gentlemen, rise. His highness is not well. Sit worthy, friends. My lord is often thus and hath been from his youth. If much you note him, you shall offend him and extend his passion. Feed and regard him not. Are you a man? If I stand here, I saw Why? For shame. Blood hath been shed ere now in the olden time. Ere humane statute purged the gentle wheel. I and since two murders have been performed, too terrible for the ear. The time has been that when the brains were out, the man would die and there an end. But now they rise again with twenty mortal murders on their crowns and push us from our stools. This is more strange than such a murder is. My worthy lord, your noble friends do lack you. I do forget. Do not muse at me, my most worthy friends. I have a strange infirmity which is nothing to those that know me. Come, love and health to all. Then I'll sit down. Give me some wine. Phil, full. I drink the general joy of the whole table. And to our dear friend Banquo, whom we miss, would he were here. To all and him we thirst, and all to all. And quit my sight, let the earth hide me. Thy bones are marrowless, thy blood is cold. Thou hast no speculation in those eyes which are us glare with. Dead, horrible shadow! Unreal mockery, ahead! My lord! I tell you, speak not. He grows worse and worse. Question and rages him. At once, good night. Stand not upon the order of your going, but go at once. Good night. And better health attend his majesty. A kind good night to all. It will have blood. They say blood will have blood. Stones have been known to move and trees to speak. Auguries and understood relations have by maggot pies and chuffs and rooks brought forth the secrets man of blood. What is the night? Almost at odds with morning, which is which. How sayest thou that Macduff denies his person at our great bidding? Did you send to him, sir? I hear it by the way, but I will send. There's not a one of them, but in his house I keep a servant feed. I will tomorrow, and betimes I will to the weird sisters. More shall they speak. Now I am bent to know by the worst means the worst. Thine own good all causes shall give way. I am in blood stepped in so far that should I wade no more, returning were as tedious as go on. Strange things I have in head that will to hand, which must be acted ere they may be scanned. You lack the season of all natures. Sleep. Come, will to sleep. My strange and self-abuse is the initiate fear that wants hard use. We are yet but young, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> 
night's hags, what is to do? A deed without a name. I conjure you by that which you profess. Answer me to what I ask you. We know thy thoughts. Beware, Macduff. Ah, was off my fear of right. But one word more. Laugh to scorn the power of man. For none of woman born shall harm Macbeth. Then live, Macduff. What need I fear of thee? Macbeth shall never vanquish thee until great Burnham Wood to high Dunstanane Hill shall come against that shall never be. The assurances of the witches comfort Macbeth, but they do not bring peace to him. And shortly news comes to his ears which is most disturbing. Macduff is fled to England. Fled to England to join the growing forces of young Malcolm against the tyrant. Macbeth acts immediately, acts upon the thought that comes first into his mind. He sends the murderers to Macduff's castle, where they slaughter Lady Macduff and her children. To England, where Malcolm, King Duncan's son, confers with Macduff. Ross comes with melancholy news. Your castle is surprised, your wife and babe savagely slaughtered. To relate the manner whereon the quarry of these murdered deer to add the death of you. Merciful heaven. Give sorrow words. The grief that does not speak whispers the all-fraught heart and bids it break. My children, too. Wife, children, servants, all that could be found. And I must be from ten. My wife killed, too? I have said. Be comforted. Let's make us medicines of our great revenge and cure the deadly grief. There's no children. Oh, my pretty one. Did you say all? Don't try all. Central heavens cut short all intermission. Front to front bring now this fiend of Scotland and myself. Within my sword's length set him if he escape. Heaven forgive me, too. This tune goes manly. Come. Go we to the king. Our power is ready. Our lack is nothing but our leave. Macbeth is ripe for shaking. And the powers above put on their instruments. Receive what cheer you may. The night is long that never finds the day. In the halls of Dunstane Castle, Macbeth, his mind so busy with suspicions and busy with plans, has not time now for his lady. And she, the Lady Macbeth, is ill. She walks now nightly in her sleep. Her gentlewoman reports this to the doctor. And while they confer, Lady Macbeth appears. No, you here she comes. This is a very guise, and upon my life has to sleep. How came she by that life? Why, it stood by her. She has light by her continually. It is her command. You see, her eyes are open. Aye, but their sense is shut. What is it she does now? Look how she rubs her hands. It is an accustomed action with her to see him thus washing her hands. I have known her to continue in this a quarter of an hour. Ah! Yet here's a spot. Hark, she speaks. God damn the spot house, I say! One 
poisoned his time to do it. Day to day to the last 
syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out. Out. Brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon a stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Arm, arm, and out! I will not be afraid of death and bane till Burnham Forest come to Dunsinane. But Macbeth's reliance on the assurances of the witches, his confidence that Burnham Wood cannot come to Dunsinane and that therefore he cannot be defeated, is not well founded. Or as the forces of Malcolm come to Burnham Wood, Malcolm issues an order. Let every soldier hew him down a bow and bear it before him. Thereby shall we shadow the numbers of our host and make discovery in report of us. Gracious, my lord. Use thy tongue, thy story quickly. Gracious, my lord, I should report that which I say I saw, but know not how to do it. Well, say, sir. As I did stand my watch upon the hill, I looked toward Burnham and anon me thought the wood began to move. Liar and slave. Let me endure your wrath would not be so. Within the three mile may you see it coming. I say a moving grove. If thou speakst false upon the next tree, shalt thou hang alive till famine cling thee. If thy speech be sooth, I care not if thou dost for me as much. I begin to be aweary of the sun and wish the estate of the world were now undone. Ring the alarm bell. Low wind, come wreck. At least we'll die with harness on our backs. Now the battle breaks out in all its great fury around the castle. Macbeth with great broadsword hacks down his enemies. Oh, dash by that weapon's last scorn. Brandished by man that of a woman born. But however staunchly Macbeth himself fights, the battle scales tip slowly and in favor of Malcolm's forces. And finally, Macbeth, cut off and alone among his enemies, stands brandishing his battle sword as the vengeful Macduff rides toward them. Turn, hound, turn! Of all men else have I avoided these. But get thee back, my soul is too much charged with blood of thine already. I have no words. My voice is in my sword, thou bloodier villain, and turn can give thee out. Thou losest flavor. As easy mayest thou the entrenched air with thy keen sword impresses make me bleed. Let fall thy blade on vulnerable crest. I bear a charmed life which must not yield to one of woman's born. Despair I charm. And let the angel whom thou still hast served tell thee Macduff was from his mother's womb untimely wrecked. Cursed be the tongue that tells me. Now yield thee, coward. I will not yield. To kiss the ground before young Malcolm's feet and to be baited with a rabble's curse. 
Though Burnham would be come to Dunsinane, and thou opposed being of no woman born, yet when I try the last, lay on Macduff and damned be him that first tries hold. Enough! Ah. Ah. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy show at RileyandKimmy.com.